0: So it's 2 Chronicles chapter 9 is the starting place. 2 Chronicles chapter 9 beginning at verse 1 and it'll be the whole chapter. You got the page reference? Yep. Mm-hmm. Good stuff.
1: It is on page 313 in one of the editions. But if you still can't find it, it's also after 1 Chronicles.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. When the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test with him, to test him with hard questions. Arriving with a very great caravan with cam- cam- with camels, carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, and the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I do not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half, the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be, how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord of your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God. Because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever, he has made you king over them to maintain justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large sum, large quantities of spices and precious stones. They had never been such spices as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. The men of Hiram and the men of Solomon brought gold from Ophir. They also brought algam wood and precious stones. The king used the algam wood to make steps for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace, and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. <coughs> Nothing like them have ever been seen in Judah. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for. He gave her more than she had brought to him. Then she left and returned with to her retinue to her, new, to her own country. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 <coughs> talents not including the revenues bought in by by merchants and traders. Also, the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 beckers of hammered gold into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold and 300 beckers of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon, Then the king made a great throne inlaid with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold was attached to it. On both sides of the seat were armrests and a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at each end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships, manned by Hiram's men. Once every three years it returned carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. King King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth all the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. He ruled over the All the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver, as common in Jerusalem as stones, and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from all other countries. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, from beginning to end, are they not written in the records of Nathan the prophet, in the prophecy of Ah Ahijah? Aja, the Sh- Shilonite, and in the visions of Ida the seer concerning Jeroboam son of Nebat, Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over over all Israel forty years. Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son succeeded him as king. <coughs> uh,
0: let's uh, pray. Father, thank you for your word and your spirit that uh, informs our mind and uh, changes our hearts. Our Lord God, we pray as we look at this passage that we would grow in our uh, astonishment uh, at who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are different ways that nations in the world... Uh, seek to display their greatness to impress others. Um, some nations do it by doing things like loading giant missiles onto the backs of trucks and parading them through the city streets to the uh, uh, to the delight of the adoring uh, patriots of the uh, of their nation. Um, others Uh, go for the let's build the tallest building in the world kind of thing, don't they? And (coughs) they build the tallest building in the world. They're famous for that. They bask in its glory for a short while until someone builds a taller building somewhere else. For Australians, I reckon it's sporting achievements, don't you? I mean, you know, (coughs) I know when I'm watching the Olympic Games that I tend to... Check out where we stand on the medal tally before I actually watch any of the sport, and uh, the Commonwealth games are even better aren 't they because you know most of the competition's not in in there you know, the yanks the Russians you know so we 're usually coming we usually win, and we can bask in our glory before most countries were democracies uh, Palaces, royal palaces, were the status symbols. Uh, if you go to China, you look at some of the uh, palaces in China, where visiting envoys and ambassadors would uh, not only have to walk through the gates of the wall around the palace; they do that, and they would enter into these uh, va- into a vast courtyard. Uh, with all of the uh, military and the courtiers and they'd have to walk through that vast courtyard through another gate into another vast courtyard surrounded by the, uh, uh, the officials and through that into another courtyard, a vast courtyard until finally they'd end up uh, with the emperor uh, just to show them how grand he is and how small they are or the opulence of European palaces, like the Palace of Versailles, uh, simply designed, well, uh, astonishingly designed, in order to display the emperor's superiority to all who would visit. Pride, arrogance, and I think also insecurity, a desire to be recognised by others. Uh, These are the things which um, are the motives Uh, to show off a nation's superiority to the rest of the world. In the 10th century BC, under the rule of King Solomon, the nation of Israel was at its high watermark with wealth, with power, with uh, prestige, with influence that it had never experienced before and never would again. But the superiority of Israel at that time had nothing to do with national pride or with worldly ambitions. It was in fact the fulfilment of some promises which God had made uh, to them. Now a couple of weeks back, we remember we saw that uh, when Solomon became king, that God invited Solomon to ask God to give him whatever Solomon wanted God to give him. And you remember what he asked for, don't you? Solomon asked God for wisdom. And God says, well, that's a pretty good answer. And because you've asked for wisdom, then guess what? I'm going to give you a few things that you didn't ask for as well. I'm going to give you not only wisdom, but I'm going to give you wealth and power as well, uh, wealth and honour, rather, as well, and honour, of course, would mean that that word uh, would get around about Israel and about Solomon, and that's what's described for us in our passage today in Two Chronicles chapter nine, when Solomon receives a, a visit from a lady who's called the Queen of Sheba. Now, I want to just uh, read a few verses of that you and then we'll unpack that a little bit. So chapter 9, verse 1, we're told that when the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Arriving with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and uh, precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. And when the Queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace that he had built, and the food on his table, the seating of officials, the attending servants in their robes, the Cupbearers with their robes and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. She was astonished. She was overwhelmed with what she saw. Now this uh, really has been good fodder over the years for um, uh, for legends and for Hollywood movies as well. You know the uh, <clears throat> the, the the story of this. Mysterious, beautiful queen with her, uh, with her impressive entourage, uh, and the uh, the fabled liaison, romantic liaison uh, that she is supposedly, according to Hollywood, have had with Solomon. It's really a portrayal which really does not give this woman justice. It does not do justice to her. So you know what? We're going to stick to the Bible, actually, on this one. Um, Sheba, there's, there's no mystery about Sheba. Sheba uh, was a place about uh, 2,000 kilometres south of uh, Jerusalem in uh, roughly uh, what we would call these days uh, the nation of Yemen. It, it was a commercially strategic location. Uh, on a, it had a coastline on the, uh, the, the Red Sea which was a a very narrow uh, point of the Red Sea, uh, only a short distance uh, across the water to Africa in what I think we would uh, call uh, Djibouti, a small nation of Djibouti uh, not far from Ethiopia. And so, therefore, it was an easy crossing uh, from the two continents uh, for cargo ships. Apparently... Uh, There is a proposal, which has been on the cards for a little while now, but I think economically it's not going to happen, at least uh, in the short term, but a proposal just to build a bridge across. Now, to give you an idea of the distance, that bridge would only be 29 kilometres long, so from Africa across to what we would call today the Middle East. So it's a strategic trade Location And being on a strategic trade route between Africa and the Middle East and also having an abundance of um, its own natural produce in terms of the premium products of myrrh and frankincense, the things which were actually offered to Jesus at his birth, this made Sheba a prosperous nation. Now, we don't know much about this particular queen of Sheba. We know that there were queens of Sheba. But the advent of camel trains uh, made this long uh, journey through the desert uh, a a feasible option. Uh, It was feasible to do. Some speculate that she might have come to Jerusalem on a trade mission... Uh, And that uh, may be part of it, but there is actually more to it than this. There's much more to it than simply a trade mission. For here we see that she didn't simply come uh, loaded up with gifts, she came loaded up with questions hard questions, big questions. And the word that's used here for hard uh, it's in other parts of the Bible, in uh, the Psalms for example it's used to refer to not just the ordinary questions of life but the big questions of life. Uh, the questions about the meaning of life and the meaning of death. Questions in relation to ultimate reality. The kind of questions that would be worth travelling 2,000 kilometres across the desert on a camel uh, to find the answers for. Answers which Solomon had. For God had granted Solomon the gift of wisdom, spiritual insight and understanding. And the whole experience for her was was life-changing uh, it was an astonishing experience for the Queen of Sheba. Uh, we're told uh, there in verse 4 that she was overwhelmed. A- and that helps you to understand the gravity of it, doesn't it? That uh, uh, the wisdom that she had gained from Solomon, the the blessing that she had seen, was something which she actually had to process in her mind and and in her heart. She was astonished. She was overwhelmed. And so we see here that God had promised Solomon wisdom and he gave it, right? He also had promised Solomon wealth. And in verses 13 through to 21, we too catch a glimpse of what the Queen of Sheba saw and was was overwhelmed by. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail about that, but just pick out a couple of um, key points. Verse 13, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now, I don't think there's anything in the 666 there, okay? In case you're wondering. Uh, But (laughs) 666 talents... um, It's probably what had been paid to him by other kings as tribute. They would say, we want to give you this because we want to be on the good side of you. Uh, And also through their um, exports, through trade and so on. It's about 22 tons of gold per year. Gold. And there were premium products all around in Jerusalem. In verse twenty-one, I don't you love it—the apes and the baboons. I, what do you make of that? Well, I take it that you're not on struggle street when you're importing exotic creatures for your entertainment and your delight, and setting up private zoos and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, apes and bu- baboons—it's not like you know, you know you need feed. You know, <laughs> this is. This is first world kind of stuff, <laughs> All right? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is gold and silver and apes and baboons and palace. Jerusalem was dripping in luxury. That's the point. And it's what God had promised, isn't it? God had promised Solomon uh, wisdom... God had promised him wealth because God is not just establishing the dynastic the davidic d- dynasty which is absolutely vital he's establishing a kingdom which would attract fame now just as an aside some people today claim that God wants all of his people to be rich you've probably heard how it goes You're a child of God. That means you're a prince or you're a princess. Well, God wants you to live well. Live like a prince. Live like a princess. Live like a child of the king. Don't just settle for an ordinary house. Live in a nice house. Don't just settle for an ordinary... Live a premium lifestyle, like Solomon. Chase the dream. It's what God wants to bless you with. And yet, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus drew attention to the lilies of the field. Remember that? And he pointed out, he said, look at these lilies of the field here. Just don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to, how you're going to dress. What look at this lily of the field. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed as nicely as this. So stop chasing worldly things. God wants you to set your hearts on on his kingdom and on his righteousness. God wants you to live a godly life. Uh, Put God first and let him take control. He will provide for you that which you need to live a godly life, both now and into eternity. Put your trust in him. So God had promised Solomon wisdom and wealth, but he also promised him honour. Now, you've probably noticed how when somebody compliments, when someone who, the, that when the value of a compliment de- depends on who's making the compliment. Uh, so when someone who you really respect speaks well of you, that means a lot, doesn't it? It's very powerful um when nations when it comes to nations it's one thing for us to say that we Aussies are a great sporting nation it's something far more meaningful when others who are not Australians <laughs> other nations say that australia is a great sporting nation and here we see that this is what was happening in jerusalem because there was honor and praise and glory which was not being spoken of by the people in Jerusalem, but was flowing into Jerusalem from the outside, from those who observed from the other nations. And we see a little picture of this in verse 22. Let me just read that. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth Sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came bought a gift articles of silver and gold, and robes, weapons and spices, and horses and mules. Now, I'm not quite sure why uh, other kings would give Solomon weapons. Um, You know, giving weapons to you neighbouring, but anyway, there may be some... I I didn't investigate that. I'm sure there's a good answer to that particular question. But you get the idea here, don't you? Notice also that they didn't just honour Solomon as the king. And in that regards, we need to consider more carefully the words that were spoken to him by the Queen of Sheba... Go back to verse 7. In verse 7, uh, the Queen of Sheba, speaking to Solomon, says, How happy your men must be! How happy your officials, who can continually stand before you and hear your wisdom! Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever he has made you king over them to maintain justice and righteousness. Wow! This is a pagan queen saying this. How about that, eh? Now, according to... According to the Queen of Sheba, whose throne is it that Solomon is sitting on? The throne belongs to to God, to Yahweh, to the the Lord, to the God of Israel. Um, Why does she say that God has placed Solomon on the throne? Well, he's done so because of his love for Israel. Um, What is Solomon's place in this kingdom? Well, he's actually a vice-regent, isn't it, according, according to the Queen of Sheba? He's the he's the vice-regent. He he's got he's got a king over him, and so he rules on God's behalf. And how is he to rule with justice and with righteousness? There's a lot packed into what this Queen of, from the South says in it. It's amazing. Uh, she is not just some rich mystery woman, as she's sometimes portrayed. She has real substance. She's travelled there for a reason. And God has given her spiritual insight, as we see in that statement. Now, one of the questions that people have about uh, 2, Chron- 2 Chronicles chapter 9 is that the author, the, who we call the chronicler, seems to portray Solomon as a great guy, the, the perfect example of the ideal Israelite king. Um, did you see anything negative about Solomon stated in the reading? I didn't. There's nothing negative about him. There's, there's nothing about his, his sin. And yet, in the other passage that deals with the life of Solomon, which is 1 Kings chapter 11, uh, we're told that Solomon, he had a real thing for women, um, that he was lustful and that he was politically motivated, that he, that he end up with 700 wives. And if that's not enough, he add to that 300 concubines second-class wives, a thousand women. That's a harem. In Ecclesiastes, he said, you know, I had all the women I could want. I had the delights of a man. But it didn't satisfy. Many of these women, most of these, were, were, were foreigners. And they, they worshipped other gods. They were idolaters. And surprise, surprise, Solomon's heart uh, grew cool, grew cold uh, towards the Lord. It's a good reason for Christians not to marry a non-Christian, by the way. Um, sometimes we find ourselves being converted whilst we're married to someone who doesn't yet believe, but don't start out on that journey. Don't actually, don't actually date non-Christians Uh, Don't marry non-Christians because you want to be intimately connected with someone who shares the same relationship with God as you have. His heart grew cold. And this shows us also that wisdom is not just a matter of the head, is it? It's a matter of, uh, of your heart. And Solomon was a failure in that regard. In fact, uh, it's said in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Sol- the, the summary of Solomon's life is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, so why is none of this mentioned in 2 Chronicles? I mean, what's, what's going on here? Is the author trying to deceive us or something, rather? And the answer to that question is, of course, no. Uh, the... It's just not his purpose. Uh, Writing a biography of Solomon is not what he's trying to do. Uh, He knew that his readers uh, had access to one king's, that they could read the biography of Solomon uh, if they wanted to. Uh, The the chronicler actually leaves out most of the details of Solomon's personal life, he leaves out some really good things that Solomon did. And he leaves out the bad things as well because biography is not his purpose. His purpose is to show that God had made some promises and God fulfilled them. That's his purpose. And what were those promises? Wisdom, wealth and honour. And here in Chapter 9, we see that each one of those is fulfilled. So that in all of the world, Solomon is supreme. In wisdom, he answers all of the hard questions that the Queen of Sheba put to him. In wealth, uh, did you notice that when the Queen of Sheba, with her vast caravan, her, her entourage, that when she went back to Sheba, there was more goods loaded onto her caravan than, than when she left because Solomon gave to her more gifts than what she gave to him and that is actually a, a symbol of superiority <laughs> when someone gives you more than what you're able to give to them. And in honour, Solomon was sovereign over many rulers. Remember back to God's promises to Abraham of a people, a land and a blessing. Remember that God had promised Abraham that Abraham's descendants would would possess the whole of the land of Canaan. Well, here it is. This is the fulfilment of that. Um, Verse 26 Is not simply about geography. Verse 26 He ruled over all of the kings from the river, so River Euphrates uh, in the east, to the land of the Philistines, which is in the west, on the coast, and as far as the border of Jerusalem, uh, of, of Egypt in the south. That's not just geography, that's just not politics, that is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And here it is. Solomon is supreme. This is the golden age of Israel. This is the high water mark. Knew the effects of sin only too well. Because they lived on the other side. Judea which is a backwater of the Roman Empire whelmed wasn't she? She was astonished. By God's blessings on Solomon. I wonder now if you'd like to come with me to uh, the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 12. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up at verse 22. I'll give you a moment just to flip that open in your Bibles or to press the right icon on your screen. <laughs> Everyone got it? Matthew chapter 12. Let's have a look at verse 22. Then they brought to him, that is to Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, no, it's it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Well, there's something which we're going to see next week's passage about Israel. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See that? See, it's, it's one thing for Solomon to have superior wisdom, wealth, And for him to have authority over the rulers of the nations that bordered Israel. But to have authority over spiritual powers of the universe. We're talking about a different level of superiority altogether, aren't we? A different realm. We're talking about a kingdom without end. Now, the blind man in this story who'd been demon-possessed, the blind man could now see. But the religious leaders, ironically, could not see. They were now blind. Because having just witnessed this miracle, the man who was demon-possessed, now no longer demon-possessed, now able to to, uh, see and to speak and to hear, they've witnessed that, and so now what do they ask for? Verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. <laughs> what, have just, what have they just seen? I mean, this is like the Queen of Sheba with her grand entourage, you know, rocking into Jerusalem and having a looking, look around and saying, oh, there's not much here to look at. Shouldn't have bothered. 2,000 kilometers across the desert on a camel. Should have stayed at home. There's nothing here for me. Now, Jesus, this is because sin had darkened their hearts. There is, however, and Jesus says, I'm not going to give you any miraculous signs. I will give you one sign. One miraculous sign, and he calls it the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and then got ejected and actually went on to live a fruitful life after that, so too the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is talking resurrection, isn't he? which is the greatest, which is the ultimate sign of supremacy. For it is victory over sin, it is victory over death, it is victory over judgment, it is victory over the powers and the authorities of this world, it is a victory forever. These are Israel's leaders. Yet in verse 42... Jesus tells him, he says, the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Well, there's an interesting comparison between her faith and their faith. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. And you're not excited. <laughs> you're not astonished. What are the things which take your breath away? What are the things which overwhelm you? Is it uh, astonishingly beautiful landscapes? I love those. Uh, Or the splendour of a palace? The, The greatest achievements of humankind? I mean, we humans... We can do impressive things, can't we? Or at least they're impressive in our own eyes. Yet what about death? We can postpone death. We can pull someone back from the brink of death. But to conquer death? Only Jesus can do that. And the resurrection is the sign. The resurrection of Jesus... Proves his supremacy. The people saw him heal the man who was demon possessed and asked the question, is this the son of David? They knew that Solomon wasn't. Is this the one whom we should be expecting? The one who comes in fulfilment of God's promise to David that a son of David would sit on the throne of God forever and ever and ever... Jesus is the son of David, who rules forever as God's king. Uh, In 2 Chronicles 9, uh, we're told that silver became so common in Jerusalem that it was like picking up stones on the street. You could just throw it away. Uh, It says that there was so much silver, it wasn't worth anything. about that, eh? Imagine imagine living in that kind of environment where uh, you're just so surrounded by the blessings of God and you kind of start taking it for granted a little bit until the Queen of Sheba turns up with her big questions of life and death and meaning and she's absolutely astonished by what she finds. And she tells you how good it is. Her words to Solomon were, Praise be to the Lord your God. Well, friends, now, someone who is greater than Solomon is here. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. He's done so for you. He's risen from the grave. He has demonstrated, he has proven his supremacy, he has defeated the powers and authorities and he is the ruler of God's everlasting kingdom. Are you astonished by that? Are you overwhelmed by the goodness and the greatness of God that he would do that for you? Or are you complacent about it? You think it's just like silver that you could throw away? He's the ruler of the universe. He's got to be the ruler of our lives, doesn't he? Let's live with Jesus as our King. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your incredible plan of salvation uh, that we see unfolding through the pages of Scripture. We thank you that Jesus is King David's greatest son, the one who indeed uh, has, uh, uh, is full of wisdom, who gives us all of the treasures of heaven, and the one who rules us with justice and righteousness. Uh, may we not be those whose hearts grow cold, but rather may we be those who are continually astonished at how good you've been towards us and humbly live with Jesus as King of our
1: lives. Amen.